Welcome to the Wellness Renaissance Podcast, exploring topics to help you find the pieces that fit into your health puzzle. Intentionally engage in things that are going to soothe you. These aren't going to negate the icky. What they're going to do is help be antidotes to the impact of the icky on your body and your physiological and psychological well-being. That's an example of both and, because we get ourselves into trouble when we get into that either or thinking, I'm either engaging in peace or I'm distressed. It's going to give you the energy and the physiological place to kind of like cope with it, basically. It's basically like wrestling with a pig. You're going to get dirty and the pig is going to like it and no one's going to win. <laughs> hey there, it is Judy with Wellness Renaissance and the Wellness Renaissance podcast. And <laughs> if you want to find out what is like wrestling with a pig, well, listen on. The voice you just heard was Dr. Nicole Justice. She is a licensed clinical psychologist. And we are going to talk about the self-care that needs to happen or might need to happen during this election season or watching the debates. This was actually inspired, and we're going to talk about this a little bit in the interview, but uh, she had posted an article on Facebook called 15 Things Therapists Do when they're anxious watching the debates. And it had some great ideas. And I reached out to her and invited her on to share her experience and kind of explain some of these things a little bit more, maybe give us a little more context and a little more of like the how to's to do these things for ourselves. So that is exactly what we did. Well, actually what she did. I just came along for the ride and threw in some comments and thoughts here and there. But she really makes a lot of these things really accessible and understandable and clear and gives them kind of some understanding of why they work for us and how to make them our own. I think a lot of us are feeling that this election season is a little more intense than we've experienced before, but we also have COVID going on and a lot of other unrest happening in the world. So it is not a surprise that we're all feeling a little bit of tension in maybe some new ways than we have before, some new intensities. That being said, these are definitely things that we can use any time in our life. But I think it's a wonderful time to sort of think about what are the tools that we can grab and use and just have at the front of our mind as we go through the next few months or so. So I hope you enjoy. There's a lot of really great information and take a listen, chunk it out, but grab what works for you and keep the other stuff in the back of your mind. Fun fact, Nicole is actually my, I believe it's first cousin once removed, which kind of sounds mean and just not very friendly. So we need to find a different term for that. Anyway, <laughs> oh, and you should go look on the Facebook post because there is a picture of her and her dog, Spike. And oh my gosh, puppy is so freaking adorable. So go check out the Wellness Renaissance Facebook page for that. And you also get to see Nicole's smiling face. And it's a great opportunity to pass the podcast along to somebody else that you think might need it and enjoy the information. Another solution you might check into if you are having maybe some funky, weird smells in your home or office or wherever else you're hanging out, 
Or maybe you're seeing some spots in areas, maybe in a basement or on a wall that you're feeling a little unsure what that's all about. Well, you might reach out to Green Home Solutions and have them come check it out and confirm that it isn't mold. You don't have to worry about it at all. However, if it is mold, Green Home Solutions is there to help. They are your mold, disinfection, odor, and allergen control experts, and they are there to help you out. They are also sponsoring this episode. So give them a call or check them out on the web. You can find them at greenhomesolutions.com. Punch in your zip code and they will get you to the nearest location to you. If you are here in Duluth, Minnesota, or the surrounding areas, you can call Steve Stern at 218-206-9549. Him and his crew are there to help you out. I know it was a huge relief for me to find out the smell in my home was not mold. So sent me on a whole new search, but you know what? It ruled a really big one out. And anyone who's had mold issues affect their home or their health know how important it is to discover what it is and get it out of your space. Thank you all so much for listening. And you know, if you'd like to uh, hear me speak about your business, you can go to the wellnessrenpodcast.com website and go to the become a patron button and you will find the advertising option and I can chat about you and all the wonderful things that you do. Or if you're just super cool and want to support the podcast, you are welcome to do that as well in the same place. And while you do that, I invite you to listen in on my conversation with Dr. Nicole Justice. Hey, Nicole, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for um, thanks for being willing to pull this together so quickly. I had an inspiration in a couple different directions, and one of them was a post that I saw that you posted on Facebook uh, about self-care during the debates. And I thought, you know, I'd been thinking about kind of the election and just, I mean, just this is a time wherever you are on the political spectrum or whatever you want to call it, this is such a time of tension for everybody. And just, uh, yeah, people are having real significant feelings about all of this. So, so I got a hold of you kind of out of the blue and said, Hey, you want to do this? And you were totally willing to jump on board. So thanks for doing that. Of course, it's something I'm incredibly passionate about professionally and personally. Yeah, so tell us about you. Tell us about what you do and a little bit of your your history. My history, all right. Well, formally, I'm Dr. Nicole Justice. Um, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. And so a little bit about my background in education. I'm a a Minnesota girl originally, so I got my undergrad through the, the U of M at Morris, alma mater shout out there. I loved Morris so much. I minored in sociology and statistics and my major was psychology. I then went to St. Thomas to get a master's in counseling and decided I wasn't done yet, um, both for my passion for the field and apparently just being addicted to school, if you ask some of my friends. And I went to get my PhD in counseling psychology at the University of Northern Colorado. And then because I couldn't get enough of the Midwest, I came back here. Um, And I currently live and work in Fargo. A little bit about me professionally, background again, is 
clinically, I see a vast array of presenting concerns, but my focus is primarily on PTSD and general mental health. I'd say it's a pretty 50-50 split between where I spend most of my time. And central to working in, in those domains with, with folks is, is addressing emotion regulation and distress tolerance and self-care because maintaining safety is super important for us to be able to feel stable. And so obviously, so that self-care and that coping is, is very important professionally, but also I'm known as the self-care police at work. And I think it's affectionately. Um, so far, it seemed pretty fun, but I'm very much checking into on work-life balance and making sure people are taking care of themselves. I go for a lunch walk every day and, and recruit people to come with me. So making sure to take care of ourselves is really, really important to me. What got you into, like, what was the thing that kind of drew you into psychology and being a therapist? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Not to sound floofy, but I really do think my my journey started very young. Obviously, I didn't know what it was. It wasn't like I was six years old and saying, I want to be a psychologist. I didn't know what that was. I have always had a passion for people. I love to connect with people. I love to support people. I love to help people. And my mom um, described that when I was little, I will admit caveat here, this is not a very clinically sensitive term, but this is how my mom described me growing up. I would bring home what she called social projects. And what I think she meant by that is I had this knack for finding people that were a little bit on the outskirts or hurting, and I would just bring them into my circle, heart of gold. So when I then in high school had my first AP psychology class, I fell in love and I went, oh my gosh, people and studying people is exactly what I want to do. I, again, at that point, didn't quite know exactly psychologist. At that time, I was also seeing my own counselor um, for, for some things that were going on for me as a teenager in turmoil. And then eventually, yeah, I studied it more and more and more. And all of a sudden, I was like, I think I'm going to go go do this. And I've never looked back. I'm lucky that I, you know, most people question their career path every once in a while or have a couple different ones. But I absolutely, like once I hit college, I knew where I was going when I was six, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a police officer for a while too. But all of those central to my desire for those was helping. And so this is where I found my skills and my passion. From our discussions that we've had, you, you're you know ridiculously passionate and knowledgeable about it, which is a great combination in a therapist. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> People are my passion. Hey, we we need more we need more therapists out there who are, who are excited about what they do and just in general. So, mm-hmm. and a little secret: therapists need therapists too. I think that initial post that I shared on Facebook was about like how we're practicing what we preach, and sometimes we need support through that stuff too. Um, right? Yeah, that's one of those things that gets forgotten sometimes. Is therapists have therapists, coaches have coaches. <laughs> mm-hmm. We all support each other. So. Yeah, in this time, this crazy time that we're in, you know, adding COVID to the election to just a, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of um, energy of intensity everywhere we look and are. And and I thought it was interesting with the debates. I it's I've watched... I've watched both of the debates, but not completely through. I missed parts mm-hmm. of both of them. And I know for myself, I, you know, I'm probably more politically aware now than I really ever have been, mm-hmm. but I've watched the debates before and they've they're never like super fun and exciting. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? They're not like, woo, it's the thing that you do, right? To, mm-hmm. to be informed and all of that. 
And I know this time, you know, the presidential debate debate was just intense. And I kind of kept finding that I needed to keep myself busy a little bit while I was doing it. And I would get up and get some water or something. And a couple times I'm like, like I was kind of just trying to cope through this. And I had the thought of, I can turn this off. I don't need to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, I have control over the situation. But at the same time, then I was like, but I really want to see this for myself. I don't want to see what the media has curated out of it. I want to see it. So when you posted this article, it was like, oh, wow, like that, <laughs> this is a good thing right now. So talk about what those things are that you're, you feel like people really could benefit by thinking about in, in like I said, this whole we're going through an election season. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks really different than I think it ever has, obviously, in the in the past. I think pr- pretty much most people agree with that. But it feels like it's touching us individually in a very more intense way than it has before. Yeah, it feels louder and, and more aggressive all around kind of a thing. And it's very much in our faces a lot more, I think, than it has in the past, which I think social media is a piece of that. We're getting so much. It's almost like, unless you put those intentional boundaries around it, you're getting it all the time. And so one of the things that when we had talked um, a little bit ago that I felt was really important just to keep in mind that it's going to underscore a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today is that to validate that the stress we're feeling is, is real. It's, it's, and it's something actually very physiological that's happening for us. I'm a huge nerd and I love talking about the brain a little bit. But the fight, flight, freeze system, I think, is something important to understand kind of why we're experiencing the symptoms that we're, 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 we're feeling right now when we're feeling really stressed or really uneasy or just kind of constantly on edge. So we all have this fight, flight, freeze system in our animal brain. And that's basically our threat detection system, right? Bing, saber-toothed tiger in the area, caveman, we better get ready. And it's a kind of a call to action to protect. It's part of our self-preservation system, Right. As we've evolved, that what is considered a threat to us has gotten a lot, a lot more abstract, has gotten a little bit more vague. And actually, sometimes we can even almost manufacture or imagine threats that aren't even there. I'm kind of thinking about that forward thinking anxiety, the what ifs, the what ifs, the what ifs. But they're all triggering that same animal system in us, that fight, fight, freeze system, which is actually adrenaline. Now that occurs on a spectrum from just kind of mildly on Everybody listening hopefully has at least seen a car and the the RPMs in a car. And it's a great analogy for this. Like it's kind of, you know, it can go from a thousand RPMs to redlining, right? Our fight, flight, freeze system is very similar from mild stress to like kind of going at 4,000 RPMs to redlining danger, danger. We're about to burn out. Something bad is about to happen. And right now, with these abstract, vague stressors that are coming in, the the perception of who's going to win, what's it going to mean for me, um, who's lying, who's telling the truth, those are some of those abstract threats to us, to our integrity, our perception of safety, and those types of things. And so they're they're triggering your fight, flight, freeze system right now, and that's very valid. And I want that's one thing I hope everybody gets out of this. If you're feeling stressed, a you're not alone, and b there's a very valid physiological reason that's happening for you. And see, the good news is we can respond to it. Right, right. And 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 talk about that a little bit, but I, I just want to even highlight your point of Facebook. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we used to, if you didn't look at the paper, turn on the television, granted now it's it's go to your computer, but it's almost such like a habit. It's it's mm-hmm. just 
people pick up their phone and you go to Facebook and yes, you get to see what your friend had for dinner and their new baby and then the headlines. And it's like, it's all just everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny because we used to get annoyed by, oh gosh, I don't need to know what you had for dinner or your 700th picture of your adorable child. But now I crave that personally. And I'm like, I don't need another headline about who said what, where somebody give me some pasta or give me a, give me a dog. But yeah, it is. It's constant, especially with having it on smartphones, even too. It's in your pocket. And we almost have this this compulsion to check it, to check it, to check it. Mm-hmm. At least I, I don't think I'm the only one in that one. Um, I even one time caught myself on Facebook on my computer and then opening it up on my phone just out of like, just out of habit, picked my phone up and looked at it. I'm like, Nicole, you're, you're literally, on, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> um, which I think actually brings us to a first point in coping with this and something that's really important and something you kind of touched on too when you were talking about I can shut this off I can step away is remembering that and setting really good boundaries around things boundary setting for your time for your energy how much time you're spending on social media how much time you're spending with the news limiting that because basically we're all overdosing on it right now and that's overwhelming. And so if you can set good boundaries, like only checking it once a day or making sure you're only spending 15 minutes, that's, I think, a really important thing. Now with those live aired the uh, debates and things like that, check in with yourself and go, do I want to watch this live as it's happening or do I want to record it and, and digest it in chunks? Because you can do that and watch it kind of firsthand without the media's spin on things, but you don't have to consume it all at once. So setting it into smaller chunks is something you can do that's in your power, right? That's really important to remember. You know, and so many things are on YouTube and things like that. So you can go find it typically later Mm -hmm. where that's something we didn't used to have. It used to be, you miss it, you miss it. You know, if you don't remember to turn on the quote unquote VCR, it wasn't an option. And now a lot of those things are, are findable to see for ourselves later Mm -hmm. on. And I think that's a really good reminder or how much of this am I going to watch right now in real time? Absolutely. And listening to your signals too, because even if you set a goal, I'm going to watch this whole dang thing because it's important to me and my values as a citizen. But if your danger signals start going up, you're finding your heart rate's getting up there. You're starting to get really overwhelmed. If you're like me and you're finding those swear words are coming out a little bit more, stepping back and going, okay, is this worth it in this moment for me to stress myself out? And sometimes the answer to that is yes. And if that is yes, you go, okay, can I take a time out right now and just take a few deep breaths and then come back to it? Really slow down that physiological system. Specifically for me, when I was watching the, the first debate, I have an Apple Watch that records my heart rate. And I set a rule for myself because I was like, by golly, this is so important for me to do. I want to, as a citizen, try to be informed here we can argue later whether or not <laughs> information actually was exchanged well then, but my goal was to watch it firsthand. And I made sure that my heart rate didn't get above 85. I sat there and when I found it kind of rising, I would take a few deep breaths, I'd step away and then I'd come back for me to keep myself. Cause that heart rate again is that fight, flight, freeze signal. Once that starts going up, now I'm in danger mode and that's stressful. But so yeah, I really, I, I used kind of my own self-regulating tools to make sure that I wasn't incredibly miserable. Right. Well, and it is fascinating because we have so many more of those tools right now with Fitbits and all of that stuff that you can Mm -hmm. kind of see what is your body doing in real time? What are you feeling and how is your body responding? And then Mm -hmm. what do you do about that? 
Yeah. Especially if you're not very practiced in being in tune to your, to your stuff. Cause that, um, is to be honest, is not something that's taught to many people. Some people do it pretty naturally, but even just self-reflecting and checking in and going, how am I feeling? Why am I feeling that way? That's a new skill. But so sometimes, you know, using that heart rate monitor, like, I don't know what I'm feeling, but my heart rate's a hundred. Well, step away. Cause that your system is on somewhere. Something is distressing to you and it'll help you get to know yourself a little better too. Talk a little bit more about breathing and and because that's something that we can use in these situations of intensity. It's something we can do every day that is just healthy for ourselves. Or we have a family gathering and we know that triggers are going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. And the cool thing about breathing is that hopefully most of us have access to that 24-7. I'm trying to think of any scenarios in which, you know, if you're on a ventilator, different story, but that's a tool that's, it's free and it's available to us. And it is so important to use in stress and anxiety management. Um, You'll often hear me use stress and anxiety pretty interchangeably. All anxiety is a form of stress. It's just kind of an intense, more intense version. Our system is stressed. Um, But yeah, deep breathing physiologically, you know, you heard me talk about that fight, flight, freeze, that threat detection system, that threat response system. We have a secondary system that's kind of our danger is gone. Let's go back to homeostasis. Let's go back to rest system. And deep breathing triggers that system, actually. So it's a signal to your body to deploy the calming system. Like we're okay now. We don't need to be on high alert. So really deep, slow breathing. Any little bit helps, but I encourage people to do that for if you can even just three to five minutes. Um, If you have a bigger pocket of time, I mean, more won't hurt. 15 minutes is great. But even three to five minutes of that, where you're slowing yourself down, will bring kind of your, you know, the boiling blood down a little bit, um, which also help you behave and, and interact more rationally. You know, thinking about conversing with family or being in a situation where it might, your triggers might be high. Um, when that fight, flight, freeze system is on, we're in animal brain and we are more likely to behave out of that, that fear or anxiety or less rationally. Um, and that can be really destructive, self-destructive or other destruct, destructive because we're in, yeah, we're in animal brain. We're in emotion brain at that point. I also, when I used to do couples work, I would tell people, this is kind of a little bit of an aside that if you're having a, a conversation or a conflict with your significant other and your heart rate is up higher than as if you'd walked up to one or two flights of stairs, stop, step back because now you aren't having a productive conflict. Your animal brain is going to be in protection mode and you might say something in a way you don't mean. And that's true for conversing around or about politics or other things that are going on. So really checking in and using that deep breathing, I think is so important to keep ourselves safe and keeping our relationships intact. Yeah. And it's, it's such a great tool and it's something that we often, I totally am guilty of forgetting, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I, I think I naturally do that, but not probably when, I probably really need to. It's it's easier for to mm-hmm. forget. I I co-facilitate men's groups, and one of the things that we do in the beginning of all of our groups is to do kind of a relaxation and a deep breathing, encouraging them to to breathe. And some of them have really said that has been hugely changing for them in just many of their interactions and just when emotions get high to be able to think more clearly and you know mm-hmm. bringing somebody into the space. So it can be a really good transition thing. 
coming from kind of an intensity to a shift downward. Absolutely. I sometimes will deep breathe between sessions. Um, if I've had like a really intense session or whatnot, before I go into the next one, even it's like almost like a palate cleanser, just a little bit for me to kind of shut off maybe some of the emotions my body was picking up on so that I can come in refreshed to the next one. And then I'm not wound up in those, in those types of, um, situations because if I'm wound up, I'm also not going to be as attentive, right? I'm going to be threat responding. Right. But yeah, deep breathing is so amazing. And it's something we can use proactively, preventatively as a regular part of our self-care routine. Um, pockets of time, just, I call it slowing down the treadmill um, throughout a day, even when you're just kind of in your like baseline stressful world. We can also use it in emergencies when like all of a sudden, like you've spiked just stress, your anxiety is really high. And I shared this with you, um, flying. I use it all the time when I'm flying because I have a very creative imagination and I can manufacture some pretty scary scenarios with whatever noise or whatever bump I feel. Um, and so even though flying is relatively safe, especially compared to driving in a car, but that's a whole different topic. Um, and I will deep breathe the, the deep, slow, probably 30 seconds per breath cycle. And I will repeat to myself, trust physics, trust the pilot as a way to keep my I'm safe system on and not let fight, flight, freeze, panic me. Cause there's what, there's nothing I can do up there. Right. If I'm, you know, if I, there's no point in being stressed about it cause I can't respond to it. Mm-hmm. So, right. Right. Kind okay. of clear headed and something weird did happen. You probably would handle that a little bit better anyway. Differently. Yes. Hopefully. Yeah. I hope I never find out. I amen. I, I totally agree. <laughs> That is a mystery that can remain unsolved. (laughs) (laughs) What else, what else can people do or what should they be thinking about? Yeah. So I talked a lot about boundary setting. Um, I think that's incredibly important, limiting the time, limiting engagements too with others. If um, you know, it's going to be stressful, it's okay to say no. I also say seeking connection is really important in this time, which obviously is a little weird right now with COVID um, and how we are connecting and that virtual really doesn't quite fill our bucket as well as actual in-person, but it is definitely better than nothing. So seek connection with others that are safe, supportive people in your world, finding groups or somebody you know that you can just have a conversation like, I'm not okay right now. Can we just sit together? connect, right? Don't have to be fighting this stuff all the time. So finding a connection is super, super important, whether it's virtually on the phone, et cetera, or from a distance in person, if you can do that, great. Yeah. It really, like you say, the COVID thing really throws that off for people. Cause yeah. And, and virtually is, I mean, my gosh, it's, it's a huge help. And so many, you know, I've heard of some people who are like, they say, I am connecting with my distant relatives and people so much more because mm-hmm. it's just now second nature. That's true. That's you know? true. Um, it's a lot quicker than writing a letter, <laughs> <laughs> which is nice. I mean, there are obviously some downsides that are, there is a little bit of stress in virtual connection too, actually getting a little nerdy here, but our, we have mirror neurons that are really important in that feeling of connection and the legs inherent in video can kind of disrupt that, um, which is kind of like a low grade anxious stressor for us, even in virtual connection, which is why people probably feel a lot more tired right now after day, like a whole day's worth of video. Um, there's a reason for that. It's not going to hurt you. It's not dangerous, but there's a, a very good reason as to why you're maybe a little bit more exhausted after a day of virtual connecting than in-person connecting, but it's still going to hit that connection bucket. It's still going to, you're still connecting. 
Um, it just takes a little more energy to do it. Um, I think it's a great thing to acknowledge that uh, like that the virtual does have a different effect on us. I, mm-hmm. um, when you go to a conference in real time or you go are in a bunch of meetings or whatever, live and in person, there's moving around. There's just a whole different perception where you're sitting at your desk all day long, staring at a screen. And like you said, there's that little leg. And then that I was, I, I don't remember what it was, but somebody was talking about just that kind of awareness of when you constantly are watching yourself on video, a lot of times the little mirror of your, your the, the video of yourself is always there, that there's that kind of brings up its own little stress and awareness, which is kind of good to have when you're on video, but at the same time also kind of keeps us in that mindset and takes us away from our being present. I think. Absolutely. And that takes time and practice. And as I said, I'm very lucky that I've been doing telehealth for, for years now because um, I, I work in, in a very rural area. Um, so I'm very well practiced at ignoring my mirrored face and like trying to make eye contacts, like kind of looking at the camera, but also making sure I'm watching you. Not perfect at it, but it's not new to me. But for a lot of people, that is brand spanking new. And it is. It's really kids in school too. Like they want to look at themselves, want to look at themselves, want to look at themselves. That's that's stressful. So if, um, if that's something that's stressful to people, you can always put post-it notes over your, your self-image mm. too. Um, although obviously the self-compassion person in me is like, learn to love yourself and learn to love your reflection and do that kind of in your own time and space because connecting with other people might not be the place to do that. But yeah, post-it notes are always an option to, to cover yourself up um, so that you're not distracted by it. Oh, one of the things you had mentioned, radical acceptance. Yes. So this is a term that's coming up radical in front of a lot of things is coming up lately a little bit more. So talk about what radical acceptance is and how it plays in to this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, radical acceptance is, it's a, it's a term that actually comes from a, a, a branch of therapy called dialectical behavior therapy, um, which is incredibly um, complicated and well-structured and I won't go into it now, but it's very much about sitting in the both and distress tolerance, etc. And radical acceptance is basically this process of coming to peace with something as it is. Um, it doesn't mean you you like it or approve of it or don't want it to be different. But I'm going to give you an example. This is how I often describe it to anybody that I'm working with. Like, let's say you're on your way to work and you get a flat tire, right? The crisis has happened, right? The, the situation is that the reality is that you have a flat tire. And if you're sitting there going, oh man, why me? I wish this wasn't me. I'm going to be late. This is going to be a problem. Ultimately, you're having a tough time accepting that it is what it is in that moment. And, and you're, you're fighting with reality. So what radical acceptance would look like is going, I accept that I'm in this situation right now. I accept my tire is flat. I don't like it. And I'm going to be okay. What am I going to do next? Because it's like there's nothing about stressing out about this is going to suddenly make you on time or is going to suddenly make that tire not flat because you have no control over that. So basically, it's kind of a, an advanced concept of how do you focus on the things you can control and let go of the stuff you can't. Because um, if you're spending so much time fighting about whether that the reality of that flat tire is a good thing or a bad thing, you're, you're delaying your response to it, and it's not helpful energy. And so accepting that the tire's flat and that it sucks and you're probably going to be late, okay, how am I going to respond to this? I love radical acceptance. But, and, and none of that doesn't say I like that I have a flat tire or that it doesn't suck. 
<laughs> but so, yeah, so I know what can I control? What can't I control? And coming to, to peace with some of, some of that stuff. For example, this is, I don't know if this is going to be dangerous territory to get into, but I just think about the um, fly situation that happened in a recent debate and um, whether he was practicing radical acceptance or was completely unaware of the fly. I I don't know. I'll never know. But let's imagine he was, he was probably going, wow, there's a fly on my head and I don't really like that, but I'm not, I'm choosing not to draw attention to it because the fly is going to do what the fly is going to do. And we're just going to let it be getting worked up about it and getting himself stressed over it. There is a simple solution to a fly. It is to swat it off your head, but we'll just use that as that example. (laughs) Right. But that brings up to that next, something else that I think is really important, that that power and control and focusing energy on what you can control and kind of trying to let go of that which you can't, which is really, really, really hard sometimes and is so, so, so important because, again, when we get amped up and fixated on things that we actually have, they're not in our circle of influence or that we can't control either because they've already happened or they're outside of our circle of influence, again, your fight, flight, free system is going to be on and a drive to action, but you're not going to have any action item you can do. And so you get stuck in an anxiety spiral. Um, and so if you can step back and go, can I do anything about that? Nope. Okay. Do I need to be alarmed about this right now? Or do I need to be focusing on this right now? Nope. Let it go. This is stressing me out. I can turn the TV off. I can control that. I can't control the moderator. I can't control what candidate A is saying. I can't control what candidate B is saying. I can shut it off. Or I can practice radical acceptance and acknowledge that this is going to be hard and I'm going to sit with it anyways. Uh Trying to think of some other great examples of it. Well, and I'm thinking about this in this particular time, right? And so in this situation, the the power that we do have is voting, right? Absolutely. In, in kind of the big scheme of things. But at the same time, I, I think of this and I think maybe, I don't know if you have any sort of, you know, questions that we can ask ourselves or things that we can do or how we can think about it when we are sitting in a place of, okay, I am concerned about our world. I'm concerned about our country. I'm, I want to create understanding with people. I want to create... Mm-hmm. You know, just we see this this feeling of big divide and no, you can't save everybody, but what can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, what what can we be asking ourselves in that when we kind of feel helpless, but at the same time, we don't want to just be a total bump on the log either, right? Right, absolutely. You know, this might seem kind of like a couple, but I actually think the question you can ask is, what can I do? And not in that like, angst ridden, like, oh my God, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? But in a, take some deep breaths, sit down, look where you're at and go, what is in my circle right now? What's, what do I have energy for? What do I not have energy for? And remembering that small things are like, are basically are what make the change happen. Um, I love the quote, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And so I'm a huge analogies person. Um, I'm also just caveat. I'm not condoning going out and eating an elephant. This is a metaphor. (laughs) Just got to be careful there with that one. Um, I'm a little sassy if you can't tell, but (laughs) we get really overwhelmed by the size of the elephant. Right. And, and forget that the fork and what, where, where can I put my fork right now? And that you'll get to the end result eventually. 
because yeah, one person can't change the entire world at one time, but it's all little, little changes are big changes, I guess. So really bringing back to that, what can I control? What's in my circle of influence? What can I do? Um, and especially if you're prone to getting really anxious about this stuff, when you're in a, in a calm mental space, write down some brainstorm, some ideas of things that, um, that you are willing or capable of doing such that when you're feeling a drive for action, you can go look at that list and you go, you know what, today I can donate to my local X, Y, or Z chapter. I've got $5 I can give. I'm going to go do that. Um, I can volunteer to call. I have energy for that today. Um, I can post something on my social media in support of something that I, um, that I love or support. And you, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to change everybody else's mind. It's a small act of solidarity with this, this cause. Um, yeah. So what can I do? And that's a, the simple, it's a simple question, but really focusing your energy on that, which is in your circle of influence circle of um, change. I actually have a, an image on my fridge back here. Oh no, must've fallen down. It's coping with COVID, but the, what can I control? What can't I control? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think we can make one of these for the election. We can make one of these for dealing with your boss. We can make one of these for any situation. Um, but in that, the action items and what is in my circle of influence, it, it basically is a direction of spend your energy here and drop the energy elsewhere. It is, it's absolutely wasted. I can't change who somebody else is going to vote for if they've already made up their mind um, with COVID. I can't change people's hygiene practices, but I can change mine and I can educate those are things I can do. Um, but yeah, focus your energy where you can. While you were talking about that, I was sort of thinking about Facebook posting and the stress that happens there sometimes with with people, you know, and I think everybody's guilty in this in, in, in moments, right, of either wanting to or actually posting something a little bit too quickly. Or And I think as, as readers of Facebook, we always have to think that, perhaps somebody posted something and didn't fully think it through or, or whatever, because that's not the medium for philosophy papers. Although some of us, <laughs> some of us guilty of trying to do that sometimes of like, when you feel like you have to say everything and then, or you just say nothing. Right. But also you made a point of the whole, you know, have putting up a thoughtful post sometimes it, it, it isn't necessarily going to change the person's mind of the, that, that may be posted or whatever, but it might help the conversation along and just get people thinking a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's, yeah, everybody has their boundaries around what they're going to say, what they're not going to say. And I think we all don't know what the right thing is to do. And, and that's just the way it is, but I don't think there is a right one right thing, or there's like, there's not like a perfect thing. There's several different ways people can respond and they're like in that gray area. It's not necessarily wrong, maybe not helpful. It's very gray. Right, right. But any thoughts in those moments? Maybe I'm just thinking of the, well, you know, you're seeing something and you're just like, oh my gosh, I have to say something about this or I'm going to die. Or, you know, or my gosh, how can this be happening right now? And the first thing I think of is like you said, take a few deep breaths. breaths. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I will be the first to admit that I'm sometimes um, guilty of getting baited into that strong emotional reaction. And what I do is I start, if I have something that I really want to respond to, I start typing it off Facebook for the most part. Like I'll start in a word handwriting actually, and start processing through like, what was my reaction to this? 
what is my initial kind of my, my feverish points that I want to make. And then I stop and I go, okay, what do I hope to get out of making this post? And is that like, basically, is that appropriate? Um, or is that something that I can, and can guarantee? And sometimes for me, my, so basically examine your purpose. What is my purpose in doing this? And is that purpose, um, accurate? So where this popping into my head, but that's not really what I mean, or will, will doing this achieve that purpose? That's, that's where I'm, I'm going with that. And recently somebody posted something full of incredible, like just miss, information and things like that accusations of stuff and I started like point by point typing through this and all of a sudden I stopped and I go what are you hoping to achieve by responding to this post with this essay you're writing what's it it's not gonna and I dropped it which is gonna be very hard for me um I'm a Scorpio and I dig in sometimes um (laughs) especially when I honestly when I'm feeling out of control or feeling kind of lost, one of the ways that I do feel comfortable is with writing stuff, even if I, and so sometimes the answer is, I want this to get off my chest, that purpose is worth it to me, and I'll keep going, Mm -hmm. Um, as long as I can do it respectfully, I will not, I will not do insults, I will not do that kind of stuff, that's just, that's not helpful, Um, it just, it's irrelevant, basically, but um, so sometimes, yeah, what is my purpose in doing this, and is this the best way to get that purpose achieved? Mm-hmm. Um, cause otherwise I think I, sh- I shared this with you on when we last, we last chatted, we have to be careful, especially with social media because the anonymity or the, the distance people can get a little bit more, um, aggressive or inappropriate because of the safety of it being distance. But you have to be careful if you're going to argue on Facebook and you're hoping to have an actual discussion or argument, that's probably not the place to do it. Cause it's, it's basically like wrestling with a pig you're going to get dirty and the pig is going to like it. and No one's going to win. <laughs> um, I love, I love that analogy, but yeah, it's just like, is it, is it, is this helpful or hurtful to my current mental state, my current purpose and what I need right now? Checking in with yourself on that is really important. It's a great idea. Uh, like you said, to just start it off of Facebook, just put it in a word document or whatever, because then if it is sort of, you need the therapy of just letting it out, then mm-hmm. you can, Get the therapy and you don't accidentally hit post. <laughs> right. For sure. And actually, fun fact, writing, handwriting, lights up different pieces of our brain than talking about it or even typing it onto a computer. And so I very much encourage people to use writing to write down their feelings, responses, reactions, because it also will help you process through and getting down to that bottom of like, what am I actually feeling right now? But writing, writing your feelings, finding a place to process through them. That's not, that's private kind of a thing and letting you reflect on it. Um, cause sometimes in that process, you might find something that does need to be addressed with a particular person. If it's still bugging you two days later, that means it might be something that needs to be addressed. If it's within a relationship, that's important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's Johnny Schmo on, on Facebook and it's still bugging you, you're probably just obsessing about it and you're not going to like, you can probably figure out a way to let it go. But let's say it came from an uncle or a dear friend or, or something, and it's still bugging you a couple of days later and you've written down your passionate emotional response to it. You can maybe then look at that and figure out what do I need to communicate about how this impacted me, um, and do that in a way that's not full of vitriol. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about coping plans yet necessarily coping plans yes let's talk about coping plans so um 
coping plan can be something that's either like formal and written down, almost like if anybody is listening has ever done like a safety plan um, for how to keep themselves safe from any of their own self-destructive thoughts or things like that. But a coping plan, um, developing basically your recipe for how to respond to heightened distress and doing that when you're not actively in distress is so important, very proactive and have it like have it written down, especially if you're prone to like really dysregulating. Um, we're talking about maybe in panic attacks or, or those types of things. Um, having something written down is stuff that soothes you um, in that moment is really, really important because if you're activated, the odds of you being able to go rationally, Hey, here are four things that I enjoy and I'm going to pick item number three out of your own headspace is probably not going to happen. You got so much adrenaline floating around that your body is just looking for how do I flee or fight. Um, but if you have it written down and go, Hey, when I'm feeling panicky, I take a bubble bath, you know, I'm going to take a bubble bath right now. Um, but writing down things that you can do to respond in that acute, intense emotional space. But I also think it's important to have an ongoing um, regular maintenance, um, I guess, for coping, like knowing right now that we're in a time of heightened stress um, and knowing that there's a lot of stuff going on, like just COVID in and of itself would be a lot, just election in and of itself would be a lot. Um, I can't even imagine also navigating um, homeschooling and, and or virtual learning or those types of things. There's a lot going on. And so knowing that having a regular plan of how you're going to continue to take care of yourself through that is incredibly important. And another um, one of my points in general, self-care and self-soothing is really important to very intentionally engage in. Um, that's related to this point. Intentionally engage in things that are going to soothe you that are going to bring you a sense of peace because those are antidotes. The, the, the icky stuff is still happening. These aren't going to negate the icky. What they're going to do is help be antidotes to the impact of the icky on your body and your physiological and psychological well-being. And I think that's really important to remember that's a, an example of both and because we get ourselves into trouble when we get into that either or thinking I'm either engaging in peace or I'm distressed um, or there's distressing things like your coping plan is not going to change the external factors. It's going to give you the energy and the physiological place to kind of like cope with it, basically. I'm trying to think of some good examples with that. Oh, uh, we mentioned that the app Virtual Hope Box is one that was developed by the VA, actually. Um, I'm 99% sure anybody can use it. I've got it on my phone. I'm not, um, I'm not a veteran. Um, but that's a place that you can put pictures, songs, inspirational quotes, anything like that. Um, so that when you're in crisis, you just boop, open it up and you go, oh, yeah, there's a picture of my grandma. Oh, she makes me so happy. Um, and then you're, you know, giving, spending some time thinking about that. Oh, Hey, I should call grandma. I'm going to call grandma, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but there's other apps out there too. Like that's definitely not the only one. You can also just use a notepad on your phone. You can write it down and put copies all over your house, you know, whatever works for you. Right. Have that plan. I like the, the virtual hope box. Just that it, it, it sounds like it holds a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be just words written on a page kind of thing. It can be like you say, pictures or just things that you find that are, make you happy or whatever. Um, create a physical hope box too. Um, that's actually something we do when doing DBT specifically, but I do with anybody who I'm, I'm working with that would benefit from it. And having like an actual physical box, like while you're at home that you open up stuff that's like tangible, even like maybe a childhood toy, again, a picture, um, a movie, a piece of chocolate, your favorite tea, 
something along those lines that can like physiologically you can engage in. But yeah, that virtual hope box meant that like if your box is, you know, three, three feet wide by two feet deep, like you're not going to carry that with you everywhere. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you might, whatever. But- <laughs> um, whatever for you right now, like if you're, whatever you're coping. And as long as that coping isn't hurting you or somebody else, do it. <laughs> like you said, having that list of ideas, but we kind of forget about those things that can make us feel up and happy and just good. Like you mentioned, you know, tea. And I'm one of those people who are, I look forward to my cup of gunpowder green tea each day. That's just like, that's a happy place for me to be, you know, mm-hmm. and having those, those things that you can either go to or, you know, mm-hmm. in those moments of stress or reminding yourself deep breathing. breathing. Yeah. Set an alarm on your phone to check, like check to make sure your shoulders aren't up at your ears and that you're taking deep breaths. Right. Um, I know that if people have like Fitbits or Apple watches, you can actually set reminders to do that kind of stuff for you, but just get creative in a way that that works for you. I think it's really important to remember that self-care, self-soothing, all that fun stuff. I think people get sometimes really overwhelmed with that and think it has to be big or um, expensive or really time consuming. Um, And so I also encourage people to kind of come up with like small, medium, large, extra large and fantasy self-care. Like, you know, somebody take me away to Bermuda for a month. That'd be great. Obviously like that's not feasible to like every time I'm distressed to go to Bermuda because now we're running, which is a different story, but um, that self-care can be small. It can be that cup of tea in the morning that you have and doing it with intentionality instead of just like on autopilot that, Hey, for 15 minutes, it's going to be me and Mr. T you thought there was actually a person named Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. T. <laughs> Maybe you can imagine drinking your tea with Mr. T if that's something that makes you happy. See the one that is, I pity the fool. Yes. But 15 minutes of, of intentional enjoyment of that tea. And I'm not going to look at Facebook. I'm not going to turn on the news. I'm going to go look at funny TikToks of puppies and drink my tea or just right. drink tea, right? And it can be smaller things that you can incorporate regularly and then some some more treats. One of the things that I've done for myself um, is I every Sunday I have part of my routine is I take a Sunday evening bath. I never used to be a bath person, but I love water. Like water makes me so happy. Um, if I could just go float in a pool for hours on end, I would be a super happy camper. Obviously not feasible. So my way of incorporating that into my routine is I sit in a very, very warm bath on Sunday evenings kind of to to wind down and then get ready for the week. Um, and in that, I am not allowed to engage in any political reading. Um, I, I usually watch TikTok, um, to be honest, because <laughs> um, TikTok makes me laugh so hard. And laughing is also a big, important coping thing for me. But um, really I should probably just read or listen to music and totally do like a mindful bath, but one step mm-hmm. at a time, right. but that's something I did. Cause that warmth, that water just, it fills my soul. Have you read the research that, um, and I don't remember it exactly, but that was like the idea around thinking about what we would do if we won the lottery is like really positive for our body chemistry like we it has an actual effect to sit down and imagine that and so that the effect of actually thinking about the fantasy of what you would do if you won is like almost better for you than if you win because so many people's <laughs> lives go in a very bad direction when they do win yeah um I, i'm not super well versed in that research but i do know that many many years ago when i was studying self talk um and even like cognitive rehearsing too. 
that actually, so that those actually chemically light up the same pathways in our brains as if we were actually doing it. Like for example, a gymnast imagining their routine. Um, and so that's not too hard to imagine that if I'm sitting there and imagining now, like imagining actively having it happen versus I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that that's going to be something a little bit different, but just like, okay, let's imagine what would I do first? Um, oh yeah, that's, that's the horse I'm going to get. Yep. Um, and just sitting there and really kind of going on a, a fantasy tour of that, that definitely would have, um, physiological, uh, impacts. I, I believe there's some research out there too, that says that even like imagining petting an animal, it doesn't, it's not quite as potent as actually the, the, the benefits of, of petting the fluffy, but imagining it is like, it still triggers some of those same, the chemical release with some of it. Our minds are incredibly powerful. Well, we think of, like you say, you've got a, a intense imagination when you fly, right? We think of the, the negative situations we can put ourselves into. And I know when I've had conversations about winning the lottery, I can get pretty excited and worked up about all the things I'm going to do. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, yeah, many years ago, my husband and I got in very serious conversations. It was back when the lottery is up at almost a billion or something along those lines. And first of all, he and I were both like, I don't want that much money like that actually like made me anxious but we fantasized about like what we would do and the um the organizations we would start and who we'd have manage our money for us so that we right for 10 years you know and there are some things that I would do a little bit differently but my favorite piece of that reflection for me and I know this is not going to be true for everybody but for me I would still do the same thing I'm doing right now um might pay out the house or might high end finishes or something like that. But like, for me, that also is a good indicator for me that what I'm doing is so aligned with my values. Right. But I do fantasize about starting a trauma treatment center with rescue horses and equine therapy and Mm. massage and all that stuff. But I would have somebody else run that so I could keep doing my, my job. Right, right. But you get to participate in it. And then you could work with clients as you saw fit. You know, you could do, you just have so many options, right? Like that, that would be so exciting. Yes, absolutely. For sure. But yeah, I know that, you know, I like you bringing back to talk about the active imagination in um, flying that I have. Um, I'm not, I know I'm not the only one there, I, but I think that's another important thing that we want to highlight is um, in thinking about managing stress around this is check in about your thinking. And this is, this could get, I'm trying to make this not super, super clinical because I don't want anybody to use this as a, as a substitute for therapy, but because our, we can very profoundly impact how we're feeling by how we're thinking, both positive and negative. And so if you're finding yourself going, oh my God, this is going to be the worst thing. Nothing's ever going to be okay again. This is terrible. Okay. That's not helpful. That's really distorted, very, very negativistic thinking and very natural to do right now, especially when your, your anxiety is on. Our anxiety is very creative and can be self-feeding but if you catch that happening you check in you go do I know that's true or what's something else that's possible and and try to redirect some of that thinking like yep this might be bad and I might be okay like is it possible I'm going to be okay here too finding time to spend time in positive thinking too is really important and and finding positive moments positive reframes too I'm I'm the queen of the reframe um for better or worse sometimes um like there was one time I was shoveling my driveway in like the third snowstorm of that week. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was so grumpy about it. And then I was like, all right, how am I going to find a positive in this? And I said, Hey, you know what, Nicole, at least you're alive today to feel this. <laughs> um, but I don't say, so you're not allowed to be upset about having to shovel the driveway. 
because that's, we've talked about toxic positivity um, and really watching out that you don't negate or shame or invalidate some of those ickier feelings, but rather like making sure that like thinking about a scale or a balance that you're able to hold both of those. Um, Because if all we do is focus on the negative, the negative, the negative, the negative, our brain starts to feel that that's the actual ratio of negative to positive in the world. And that comes really overwhelming. It gets really heavy. Um, And it's important to remember that there is positive out there also. Um, And that doesn't negate the negative and focusing on it can help bring some of our, our mood up um, and spend some time thinking about that. And that's actually one of the dangers of watching the news um, it's, it's cause it's, it's a natural human thing. Um, the information that's available to us is how we kind of start estimating likelihood of stuff. Um, but recognizing that what makes good news is not puppies and rainbows and, and the positive moments, unless they're like really extreme or really heroic. Um, those small acts of kindness, those daily, those daily positives don't make good news. So you're not going to see it. But if we're spending all of our time only watching, let's say the doom and gloom news, it's really natural to start feeling like, oh my gosh, everything is all doom and gloom. This is not, not going to be okay. And it can start to structure our, our lens that we're interpreting the world in. And so it's important to go, yep, that's out there. And that really does suck. And hey, here's a positive moment. So looking for those in your daily life or seeking positive news sources too is really important to do to make sure that balance stays, um, stays accurate. Um, I know recently, oh gosh, this was probably May, maybe June. So not that recently. Um, it was right around George Floyd. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff going on. There was protests and things like that. And I stumbled upon 10 or 12 baby ducklings stuck in a, in a, and like a grate and a sewer. Oh. And I looked at it and I was like, I am not letting these ducks die. I mean, I got, I was like, it was my mission for that day. And I had the most positive interaction with local police, um, getting them out, the local, the local utility guy. And it was one of those things where it's like, we weren't taking videos for the news. We weren't doing any of this, but all of us involved in that situation after we got them reunited with their mom, we all looked at each other. We smiled and we all needed that, didn't we? And we did, and we all then went on our on our way, but it was like this amazing moment of connection. And I rode that high for like three weeks, I think. Nice. Um, and I could have easily walked away from those ducks. Actually, as a human being, I, I'm not somebody that could have walked away from that. <laughs> I was going to try to get it myself. But there are some people for whom that wouldn't bring them joy and they could have walked away. But that makes me, that makes me happy to think about now, too. Yeah, no kidding. My gosh. <laughs> this is going to sound super goofy. Um, Recently, um, I was out on a patio with my grandma and, and her sister, and a hornet flew into my great aunt's beverage. And we were just like, you know, normally a hornet, we're like, yeah, screw it, and, like, let it just drown. And I sat there, and it had been a very rough week for me. So, this is a great example, too, of checking in with myself. I was feeling very emotional, et cetera, um, which means I disengaged the rest of that evening afterwards, took care of myself. But, anyways, all of a sudden, I was like, I can't, I, I can't sit here and watch this hornet drown. I just can't. Mm. I, I fished him out with a, with a French fry or something like that. And just let him sit there <laughs> and clean himself off. And I was like, this is so goofy. Cause like normally I wouldn't care necessarily about a hornet, but in that moment I needed, I needed to save that hornet. And I was like, <laughs> if I get stung, I get stung. But at least I didn't like sit here and just watch this thing drown. That did not sit well with me that day. Oh, well, to the hornet, it meant a lot. I'm, I'm sure, right? You know, it's that we can, we can let a lot of things go. We can let 
you know, I think sometimes it's in our kind of the state of the world, sometimes people get grouped and forgotten mm-hmm. and we forget that there are people's lives and experiences within those situations, you know, mm-hmm. they, whatever the outcome is, they are living with that outcome. True. Actually, that, that brings a, a really good point to mind too, that I think is super helpful um, at least for me, um, and I hope it's helpful for other people, is trying to connect with humanity again. Like our connect with the human. We get so insult heavy and so grouping and so, but if we can try to connect with the humanity of people, which can be hard to do sometimes, but remember that this is a person who probably genuinely thinks that this is what is best. I might not agree with them or it might be based on misinformation, but to connect with the fact that there is a reason they believe this and I might not ever get that or know that, but accept it. Not always easy to practice, but that can be really important to to rehumanize each other. And I think that's what's so stressful about all of this is the, just like psychologically, the enemy that is the other side, the the turning them into an enemy and dehumanizing, which is actually quite scary and, and can be dangerous, but we can be in charge of not letting that narrative win. Right. Well, we think about, I mean, I know I was listening to something on NPR, 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 I think it was years ago. And it was a soldier talking about the process of going over to war and how he had to think and how they were the enemy, how these people who looked this way were just evil. Right. And how you couldn't think about the fact that they were a father, a mother, or whatever, that they, that you, that just wasn't an option. And then, of mm-hmm. course, coming back to real life here and to re-get your brain around that again is really, really hard. And so we think about that that is possible. And then, like you say, we're kind of doing that with the division that's kind of happening. And it, it gets scary close sometimes. And I think that's where a lot of people's fear comes from is I think people are feeling that or hearing that or seeing that, you know, even in a small way that makes, it feels like the tipping point is just a little too close sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you spend time focusing too much on that, your anxiety is going to kick up, right? So exactly, right. on in your circle and in your people, how to re rehumanize and, and small scale even too, and, and kind of try to tune out that, that the divide, I guess. I really like that you brought up that that so- story of that soldier. Obviously, I didn't quite allude to this, but I very much, I work with veterans. That's my primary passion. All people are my primary passion, but, and I work with veterans and that's a content of a lot of work that I do with them is, is as they rehumanize the deep, kind of the deprogramming piece to the, the, the hurt and the pain that can come with that too. Um, and having to heal through and work towards self forget like forgiveness and 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 restructuring their world is is such rewarding work. It's hard work, um, and I have a feeling that you know, fast forward ten, fifteen, twenty years, I think a lot of us are going to have to do some similar parallel work around some of this um, mm-hmm. as we have, you know, enemyified. I don't know what there's not a word for that. Like as we've vilified. Hey, let's go with vilified. That's an actual English word. Um, the other side, um, when in fact we're all in the same boat, you know, like let's figure out how we can work back together and, and reconnect with humanity and that we're allowed to have different values 
Right. Yeah, I think that's something that we've, it's gotten, you know, kind of chased out of us with media is it's more advantageous for the media to have multiple sides. There's a lot of, there's a lot of advantage if we as people are against each other, Mm -hmm. sadly, and, and it's where it's, yeah, it's become this binary when it's like, yeah, we are all in this together. And how can we work together and understand each other so we can all win? There's no reason we can't do more focusing on that than Mm -hmm. this division thing that's happening. And Mm -hmm. yeah, people are trying to respond, respond or react or trying to to respond and not react Mm -hmm. (laughs) is sometimes really challenging. Takes a lot of energy. And you know, that's, I think a a stressor for all of us too. Like I, I'm very, very cautious in throwing out the term trauma because I think that word can get overused and can be, invalidating a little bit if we're not careful with it. But I also, on the flip side, I think it can get underused. I don't know if I want to elaborate on that necessarily, but like sometimes people will be like, oh my gosh, I have PTSD from, I spilled my drink on my lap and I was such a bad, like stop, Uh stop. (laughs) Like that's not it. But things like that interpersonal lack of safety or feeling, but feelings of betrayal that might be happening right now and, and loss and, and, this is traumatizing in a sense to some people. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that on, on both sides, even I think, and, and recognize that we're going through, this is not um, a, a clinical term, but I very much distinguish between capital T trauma, which is like diagnostic criteria for what constitutes a clinical trauma, which, and then the lowercase T trauma, those things that are profoundly impactful um, and have a negative impact sometimes on our daily lives that are traumatizing. Um, it's, it's happening and that's hard. It's sad. Yeah. Well, and, and I just, you know, back to again, uh, the whole concept around Facebook and how differently we're connected, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're somebody that is on Facebook, you might be so much more connected with larger family with different groups of friends with people you don't even have ever even met right where it used to be you kind of had your people and your circle and your groups and you knew how to maybe you didn't deal with this so much in this group but when you were away from them you were away from them and it wasn't a big deal and you weren't necessarily it wasn't like you were hiding something you just weren't that wasn't the appropriate place and now everything is so intertwined and intermingled that you know I've heard stories of people who for instance one person they came out as gay a long time ago, but not to a lot of people. And now all of a sudden they're seeing their, their, their extended family and people on Facebook who are just speaking intensive, you know, hate about their group of people. And they're like, they, they don't even necessarily know they're speaking to me. And, mm-hmm. but it's, I don't know how I fit in the world and in my family reunion. And in some of these things that it's, hitting people in a really different way. And in some ways there's positive to it because, you know, obviously the huge connection that Facebook has brought, for instance, is huge, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's, and there's distance. You can find out this person thinks that about you or about whatever group you belong to and kind of put some distance and not have to feel like a tiny little, you know, curl up in a ball in front of them. But it, it still creates that kind of displacement of how then do I operate in the world and how do I respond? Yeah, I think that's a when what we're seeing too, like there's so many advantages to the connection and there are so many um, opportunities for disadvantage. Like I don't know, like or, or hurt that's not intentional very often too. Mm-hmm. 
we could talk a whole lot about intent versus impact, but so like we have to back to, you know, talking about, do I post this? Do I make this, this comment? Remembering that you don't necessarily know where everybody aligns and um, how can you, if you're going to make a post or make a comment, how do you do that without hurting people? Mm-hmm. But also, oh, once again, I lost my train of thought on this because I have so many thoughts about the advantages to social media and the connection, but also one of the, 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 the metrics and the, the algorithms and, and things like that, the echo chamber it can become as well, isn't always helpful. And it has, so like, we're also getting fed constantly stuff that fits with us. And I think being aware of that is also very, very important. And I very much encourage people to go out and when they're seeing stuff, if they have the energy for it and they haven't needed to set a boundary around it, cause you shouldn't have to do this 24 seven, it will tire you out. But go check and go, you hear something, you go, that sounds really extreme. Even like for me, like when I get fed stuff that's sensationalized, but aligned with my views, if it seems extreme, like extreme language is used, I will check it out first. Like I'm going to go see where else am I seeing people posting about this particular news source before I will propagate it some more. Um, Sometimes I find out, oh, holy Hannah, that was true. Mm -hmm. Um, Or sometimes I go, "Um, hey, heads up, by the way, that's not quite right. But I know not everybody does that. Um, and it does take a lot of energy. And so it's up to you whether or not you're willing to do that kind of stuff. It, it's very time consuming to research all of the things you really would like to research. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Back to boundaries. You got You got to set boundaries around it. Right. Um, one bite at a time. We'll get to the elephant eventually. Exactly. Um, I know another thing that you would had mentioned was validating and normally normalizing your feelings. And I think you've kind of touched on that a little bit, but maybe talk a little bit more about that. Those I know are very often probably considered like clinical catchphrases or things like that, but there is so much importance. That's kind of also like why I even just started out with what is fight, flight, freeze and what is happening for you? Because sometimes we can be feeling something and we don't know what it is. And, and the natural reaction to that, is to then shut it down or shame it. Like what's wrong with you? Like kind of that self-talk that you might have, like what's wrong with you that you're feeling this way? Like get yourself together. You're not strong enough. That's not helpful because that, what that is also doing is increasing your stress because now you're, you're beating yourself up. You're punishing yourself in some way, shape or form, which is a stressor. Um, and so talking with, with kindness and say, Hey, um, I see why you're feeling this way right now. Um, seek, so seeking that connection or seeking information um, to normalize and recognize you're not the only one who's feeling this is really important because sometimes our anxious voice or our stressor makes us go like, well, I'm the only one who's not strong enough to to be okay or, or X, Y, or Z, which is also shaming and isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do I want to say this? It's really important to yeah, first acknowledge it check in with yourself. What am I feeling? What do I need? Because people are so quick to yeah, get to that shame or to stuff it down or whatnot. Check in with yourself. Um, one of the questions I very often ask myself when I'm feeling really stressed, I always ask, where's the fire? And that for me is my question to myself is like, what is the danger you're detecting right now? Because that allows me to, to check in and go, oh, hey, I think what I'm stressed out or what's the fire right now is that I'm worried about doing that presentation tomorrow. And I can, I can go, oh, I understand. That's really important to you. I can see why you're, why you're stressed about that. What can, what can we do about this right now? And obviously, it happens very quickly. It's not usually that concrete of a conversation I have with myself. 
but it's really important. You can't address what you're feeling until you recognize it and validate it first. I also always say, if you're feeling something, your feelings are always valid. We never want to challenge your feeling. What we want to challenge is the information or the intel that that feeling is based on, which can be our kind of alarming um, self or automatic thoughts. It can be our interpretations of things. Like sometimes that stuff is flawed. Whatever you're feeling, though, is valid. If that stuff were true, that feeling would be valid, right? So, but we want to go back and challenge some of that so we can make sure that we're feeling something that's proportionate um, or accurate. But yeah, I always tell people that if you're feeling something, there's a reason you're feeling it, right? So don't shame it. Um, evaluate it. Check it out. Um, and tend to it. Our emotions are data. We're, people are so quick to shove down emotions or negate them or ignore them because they don't feel rational or helpful or concrete. The problem is they are data for us. They're telling us something. They're telling us we're feeling scared, overwhelmed. They're telling us we're hurt, those types of things. And those are things that need tending to. Um, and so really, yeah, finding people that can also help you validate by sharing similar things, um, the normalization that you're not the only one in it is going to be really, really helpful because the number one thing we don't want to feel right now is alone. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, <laughs> and for some, sometimes it's really hard, you know, because of isolation yeah. and all of the pieces that are going on. This is just a really strange time for people. It's people are needing things and they don't know how to find them or find the virtual group or, mm-hmm. you know, and then it, that feels weird and strange. And, you know, <laughs> all of a sudden, if you embrace the weirdness, suddenly you'll find out, Oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. Nope. There's a whole thousand people over here having the same thought. Right. Um, exactly. You know, so we don't want to, don't want, don't want to do group think or like extra silo ourselves, but, um, one of the traps that we fall into, I think, and social media definitely has not helped with this, is we often compare our internal world, which we have regular access to, right? We have access to the soundtrack of our mind. Um, we compare our internal world to other people's external worlds. Oh, yeah. And that is a, and, and it's natural that social comparison, we like to know, like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Social comparison is a learning tool. Uh Um, but we have to be very careful because we said, we know what we're struggling with internally. And we then assume that that person looks like they've got everything together, feels that way internally, which can help, or like is the opposite of validating and normalizing. It's isolating. Oh my gosh, they got everything together. Facebook and the social media, Instagram, the filters has been terrible for this. Um, I think people are starting to embrace sharing the reality that not everything's all peachy keen all the time. I think that's, that's getting better. Um, but it's still be careful, um, with that. Like if your friend is posting and it seems like they're having such a great time with all this politics stuff and you're like, God, am I the only one careful before you assume how they're feeling about things or like careful, like how their internal world is going. Right. In the past, I don't show my anxiety or very often my stress out externally, um, until I'm really, really, really stressed. Um, and then it's usually pretty obvious. So I've had people in the past and I said, yeah, I'm actually very socially anxious. They're like, you, <sighs> you, you miss extrovert. Yeah. I have a, I have a, a people pleasing need. So I'm socially anxious, but I don't wear it externally, but that usually then leads to some amazing conversations about how, oh, how they're socially anxious too. Or I always thought that you were just always so confident or X, Y, and Z and have some really great connecting conversations. But yeah, so careful before you assume what other people do or do not struggle with. 
I do think that, that COVID has been good for that. Like, so some people have embraced that. When we think of like the television shows after COVID happened and, all, and they're doing things from their living room and it's not perfect because they don't have the production studio. But then other people who are kind of embracing that even on, on Instagram, there's a couple of people I follow where it's great to see their sort of everyday life and the fact that, you know, well, one partner is ticked off that the other partner cannot put the toilet paper on the roll kind of thing, you know? <laughs> it's like so human and it so helps you feel like everybody deals with this stuff and it makes it a little more okay. And I, weirdly enough, I just heard somebody praising some uh, a, a celebrity for how much they never let the negativity show. And like they were being praised for always having this perfect exterior image and I'm I'm like I, I I get the concept of why we kind of praise that and that they never let never let you, them see a sweat kind of thing but it also really screws us up we never you know I certainly have I, I struggle with this mindset and because it's one I kind of grew up with if you're not perfect at it don't do it there's no room in there for learning how to do something, right? It's just, well, if you don't have it innately in your body and you don't come out with it perfectly, there's no point in it. And that keeps that image going, right? And I think that's kind of an image that I saw. And now we're seeing that, no, people have real lives, real challenges, and they're, they make mistakes too. And, and they're, everybody has a learning process. And Absolutely. It keeps the stigma alive of, really the human condition that like we aren't perfect and we, we almost are designed not to be Um, like, we can't, we can't. Um, I wish perfect wasn't a word in our vocabulary, um, which is, that's a whole, like a whole different conversation we could have. But I very, very often um, encourage people to read the book, the gifts of imperfection, which is just talking about the amazing connection and, and our imperfections. But um, I'm going to go back to what you said about that person being praised for this. And I also think about the other side of that. What if that person feels like they're crumbling and they can't say anything about it? And like, for me, that's a red flag. Like this person, this is going to get really dark, but I'm like, when we put that pressure on somebody, like we're not going to know they're cracking possibly until it's too late. Cause if they have now been put in this, this box that they can't say I'm not okay without being shamed for it, they might not be okay. And they might be like suffocating inside. And like, so my heart goes out to the people that we put on that pedestal. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's dangerous. Like as we see when, when celebrities, for example, lose their, their battles with, um, their mental health, their struggles, whatnot, and people are going, oh my God, I had no idea. I didn't see this. They were so happy. And it's like, you don't know that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, this was years ago, but I had a friend who knew somebody at her church who everybody praised for her positive attitude and never saying a bad word about anything or anybody ever and never, ever having anything go wrong. And she ended up getting, I don't remember what it was. I think it was a, a cancer, but she ended up dying from this illness. And there were a few people who kind of said that exact kind of thing. Maybe it was just, she never ever, cause they also praised her for that. Oh my gosh, she was sick and nobody knew and nobody. And, and they were praising her for how she was able to keep herself together and never show that. And then somebody brought up and what if that, what must've that been like for her? Because she knew she was so, held on a pedestal that was her that was her claim to fame after a while right like so yeah it kind of got brought up as to well what what if that's what in a sense killed her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? 
Yeah. We got to be careful playing the what if game. And it's important to acknowledge the sadness of that. Like, Ooh, I hope that didn't play it. And it exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I, th- I think it was in my friend's circles, it kind of ended up to be a positive discussion because it, they got to the place of, wow. You know, I think there was a little bit of insight to that as well, that she, mm-hmm. that probably wasn't an easy thing for her and that she did feel the pressure of that. And so mm-hmm. why we don't need to feel the pressure of that. We don't need to be perfect. We don't, we, we hold that up as a great thing, but is that, is that real? It's, I would argue it's an unattainable mark. Exactly. Yeah. 100% perfect. It's a lot of work. Yeah. We're not getting the whole story. Right. Right. Exactly. What else are we missing for coping mechanisms or coping strategies through this crazy time of ours? <laughs> what a what a wild ride. Um, I don't think we're necessarily missing anything, but like, you know, if I could summarize the kind of the, the, the rationale behind all of these tips or like kind of what the overarching theme in them is, it's basically how do you increase your safety in a time that feels unsafe? right? Because mm-hmm. if we're focusing completely on this, this lack of safety or this perceived lack of safety, um, how do you help your physiological system and therefore also your psychological system feel safe or have at least pockets of safety so that you feel that keeps you grounded? An analogy I very, very often use is um, that of like a boat and a storm. We can't control the storm, right? You know, back to that theme of what can I control? What can't I control? that storm is happening and it's feeling very chaotic, but how can you make sure to equip your boat to withstand the storm and that, that self-care, the self-soothing, the connection, those are all tools to help keep your boat afloat. But then also to remember that sometimes you're maybe all your job is to not drown that day. And it's maybe not moving through or doing some epic boat maneuvers in this story of life. I'm not sure this analogy is not going to fall apart really soon, but <laughs> Like that sometimes it's okay that if that day you're just keeping your head above water, that's that day. That That's your primary objective. And maybe tomorrow you'll be able to navigate a little differently. Maybe you'll be able to actually put on pants and shower tomorrow, but today you fed yourself mm-hmm. and, and, and giving like patting yourself on the back for things that sometimes I think people feel like they shouldn't. But when we're struggling with stress and, and this stuff, which is very valid, increase your safety, take care of yourself and acknowledge it's, it's going to look different every day and that's okay. Some days it's you're nailing it or feeling like you're nailing it. And other days compared to that, you feel like you're not, but just be gentle with yourselves, I guess. Um, take care of yourselves. I like the boat and the storm analogy because it acknowledges that the storm, that the water is still happening around you. The water is still jostling the boat, right? And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's it's not about keeping your boat perfectly straight and ignoring the ignoring the storm and the water because you you can't that is still mm-hmm. happening that you know but what can you do with what you've got to make mm-hmm. the best outcome in this jostling storm you've got going on right well because that's actually you know going with that it, pretending the storm isn't a thing might lead you to ignore quote danger signals that could sink your boat you know. Um, the good news is unlike a ship that sinks, it's really hard to recover. Like people don't, how do I want to say, like we can sometimes capsize and we can be pulled back up more easily than an actual boat that's full of metal and will sink. Um, but yeah, so 
don't deny the storm, but focus on what you can control and what you have in, in you for that day to navigate it. And remember that this too shall pass. The storm will pass. Things will get calmer. Other storms will come too. Um, it's the nature of the ocean. We can't control that, but we can make it through this boat. Yeah, I think it's a great visual. I, and also don't compare your boat to other people's boats. Some people have massive, well-equipped boats and some people are on a dinghy and they just are praying that they don't go down. So we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. I think is really important to, to remember. Right. Well, before I let you go, um, let's talk a little bit about the access of, of healthcare um, mm-hmm. and mental health care right now. I mean, it's something that, I know that it, it gets talked about a lot, that it's it's hard for people. There aren't enough mental health practitioners to uh, help the people in need or how, you know, it's an affordability case, it's an insurance type thing, or it's accessible. And I think you and I were talking earlier about the fact that telehealth mm-hmm. has kind of changed how how all of this is is accessible to people in certain ways. So talk mm-hmm. about that and, and help people maybe the people who are maybe questioning, should I reach out? Should I not? You know, how do they get that help taking that first step? Okay. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a lot to that question. And I, I want to first and foremost acknowledge what you said there, that taking that first step to make that first phone call is really anxiety provoking um, to a lot of people. Um, and I remember actually early on in my doctoral program when I had been a practitioner for three years and I I was seeking support and it took me like three weeks to make the phone call. And I finally went, Nicole, if you can't do this, how can you ask your patients to call you? Right. Um, and so I checked myself, what was my anxiety and reckon like most of us don't like cold calling, right? Like that's not pleasant. Um, but so if you can acknowledge it and say, yep, I'm not going to like it and it's going to be okay. It's not going to kill you. Right. Even if you're the most awkward human on the phone, when you call, it's not going to kill you. Right. But so, so with that is, is acknowledging, validating, go there. It's okay to be anxious about it. And how do you challenge yourself to do it anyways? Um, a lot of people don't necessarily know where to go to like, look at where are therapists in my area and Google search. I tell people just to Google search, um, or reach out. Um, if you have a friend, honestly, in, in the healthcare business, that's in, that knows people who are in the healthcare business, use your network, Right. Um, reach out to your primary care provider. Maybe even if, if you don't know where to start, use those resources. But I'm also a huge fan. If you have access to the internet, Google it. Um, Psychology Today is a great resource um, for looking up therapists um, that are in the area. They often have a little profile about what types of insurance they take, if they do sliding fee or not, um, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, sliding fee and accessibility. But like, just start that search um, and and look at it like, how do I want to say this? Um, kind of like online dating, um, where you, but you're not like online marriage proposing. Um, I think sometimes people get really anxious. They're like, well, what if I don't like them? What if they don't fit for me? What if, what if it turns out I can't afford them? Hey, the good news is it's not a long-term life commitment to this particular provider. Um, I am very well aware that I am not everyone's cup of tea. And if I, if that relationship doesn't fit, I want you to find one that does. It's my ego is separate from that because the relationship is so important. And so I tell people, take some of that pressure off, give a couple a call, see if, if you like the vibe of their websites or, or whatnot. And if in that first meeting, it doesn't fit or it feels really uncomfortable, especially if it feels really uncomfortable. You don't owe them coming back. 
Um, now if it's a little bit anxious and it's a little weird, give it a few sessions, but like, listen, listen to yourself. Am I anxious about this or were there red flags in here? Try it out. Yeah. It's not a marriage proposal. It's, it's kind of mental health courting. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously if you are in an acute crisis, that's a different story. Like if acute crisis, we're talking like get to an ER, right? Um, if we're talking like you don't know if you can keep yourself safe, get to an ER and they will have, they'll help you get like through that crisis and they will have discharge planning that can help you get set up with community resources. And so, yeah, don't ever be afraid to do that if you're in in crisis. In fact, I can't believe I haven't even put that caveat on here. Call 911 if this is a mental health emergency, seriously. But in general, yeah, do some of that. Use your network, research online, psychology today, call your insurance provider. They might provide if you have insurance, right? Now, if you don't have insurance or you don't want to go through insurance, um, sliding fee is um, is an important thing. Um, it's not necessarily as sliding as a lot of us would like it in some places. Um, but sliding fee is, is where if you're going to do self-pay, you and that provider negotiate like basically like what you're willing to pay and like how low they're willing to go kind of a thing given your circumstances. Um, when we were talking before recording, I shared that when I was in graduate school, I was able to negotiate uh, $50 a session. I told, I called and I said, Hey, I'm a, I'm a graduate student. Um, here's basically like what I'm comfortable paying. Um, the first two people I called were like, Nope, no less than a hundred. And I was like, oh, gosh, I, like that's so, that, that would be worth it to me. I just didn't have the resources for it. And the grad student stipend is not very high. Um, so I finally found somebody that was able to do it for 50. So it took a couple of calls, but it's out, it's out there. And I know it's scary making those phone calls and it's going to be okay. We didn't talk about telehealth really. Did you want me to go into that? No, yeah. Talk about that a little bit just because that is, I think, changing, changing things a little bit. I agree. And I think it's going to change things absolutely for the better moving forward because telehealth has kind of always been something. Um, and so for those of you who don't know what that is, it's kind of a broad term for um, virtual modalities of providing care. And so that would be basically like Skyping your therapist, um, depending on on what modality they use. It could be Zoom. It could be something else they use. But basically, it's, it's a virtual visit. It's been something that we've been talking about as a field for a long time, but it's been kind of this awkward because there's an interesting ethical area of that about licensure because there's not like a nationwide license, like a driver's license. I have my North Dakota driver's license. I can drive in any state, right? That's not true for for medical licenses and things like that. You get one, you can't, you're not, you're licensed to practice in that state. And so the gray area there was if I'm somebody who lives like in Moorhead um, and I see somebody in Fargo, do I have to be licensed in North Dakota or do I have to be licensed in the state that I'm operating in? And that question was one that they, they were kind of dabbling around, but hadn't really like committed to answering COVID hit. And now um, exemptions are being made like cross state, like approving some of this. And so I think moving forward, it, it's brought that license question to the forefront and going, we need to answer this now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's going to be changes happening with that with licensure and, and legislator stuff. And anyways, but it's increasing accessibility. It's, it kind of forced the hand of a lot of providers to get comfortable with, with um, having a virtual practice very quickly, which I was very lucky. I will acknowledge I work for an established federal system that has established telehealth. And I was already seeing my patients about 50% telehealth, typically to like a, another community clinic across the state, sometimes on their own device in their home if they live really far away. Now my caseload is probably 95% that, and it works It works great. 
I know when I, I will admit when I first started, um, where I currently work, I was nervous. I'd never done telehealth before. And I was in a camp of, I'm an in-person person, like how it's going to be so weird not to see them. And I, my attitude was changed so quickly. Like, honestly, it, for me on my side of things, it, it yeah, I miss the in-person connection, but as far as the efficacy and the ability to connect and the ability to do great work was not dampened in any way. Um, I really liked that. Um, and it also helped me see people that had a, uh, a changing schedule, people who work for the railroad, mm-hmm. people who work for, for different things. And so it made that more accessible. And so the telehealth also makes scheduling more flexible um, for people. Right. Yeah. Well, you can carve out sometimes that hour to have the appointment, but not the two hours around it that you might have to drive somewhere or whatever the Absolutely. case. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I think, so I think it is becoming more accessible. Um, we just got to look for it. Right. Um, which is unfortunately, I wish that there was like an, a pamphlet of here's all the providers in your area. So you've got to do the legwork. It's fascinating how it used to be. You have to come in, you know, like with medical doctors, you have to come in. There's no way around. And then all of a sudden, no, don't come in. Surprise! <laughs> there are ways around a lot of things. Um, and so I think it also, yeah, it, it honestly, stuck a fixed mindset a little bit too, um, not just in, in mental health, but in, in physical health as well, getting creative. And so that forced creativity, I think is going to have a lot of benefits down the road. Um, it's just a little chaotic right now. Right. Right. Another thing that just popped in my head in thinking about making that first call for me, this is really important. And obviously these are my values and I'm not sure everyone would hold this, but remembering that the therapists are, are people too. Um, we're not scary. Um, we're not robots. Like I would hope most of us are very empathic, right? We want to help people and I said, and and we're, and we're people too. And so at least for me that that is really helpful in recognizing that there's another human being on that side. It's not some big, scary PhD statue or, you know, (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. Like and our mission is, de- is definitely to help. And so like, even if you're really nervous calling and making that first phone call or whatnot, we're not going to shame you. We're not going to, we want to help you and get you to that place. If we don't provide the service you're looking for, we're going to try to point you in the direction if we can on where you could possibly get that and things like that. So they're, they're a helper. They want to help you. And to me, I find that comforting. I also like to remind people, I think sometimes there's this stigma that like, therapy is for totally, I'm going to use quotes here, like totally whacked out people, right? Which is not true. And totally whacked out people is not my word. That is what I've heard come out of other people's mouths. I will say that day in and day out, I would never describe somebody as totally whacked out unless I was paraphrasing what they were saying about themselves. But I digress on that one. Um, It's for it's for everybody. It, it can be proactive. It can be preventative and it can be for feeling really dysregulated and, and, and maybe psychotic or, or things like that. Like, but it can be anywhere in there. Everybody can benefit at some point. You don't have to be um, completely drowning or completely falling apart. And in fact, I would rather have people come in proactively and prevent it preventatively if they can. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always possible. And I always empathize that there's a reason that they did or didn't come in sooner. Every behavior has a purpose, right. but it's for everybody. It's, it's a different perspective. It's a, it's a neutral third party that has some expertise that can help you apply that expertise to your life and your story and your needs. That is, this is my approach. Um, it's, it's not everybody's, but I do think it's a, a 
prominent approach in the field, at least in the, the counseling style training I had. It's very much, I have expertise, but you are the expert on you. Um, and so I want this to be collaborative. I want you to let me know what isn't, isn't working in your world. And I'm, and I'll put some stuff out there and that it's up to us to figure out how to make that work together. I'm not prescriptive. I'm not, well, you're doing it wrong. This is exactly how I want you to do it. No, this is, it's, I want it to be collaborative. Um, I know very you know little about that person until they step into my office. I parachute into a very small part of their world. Um, and my goal is to work myself out of a job with you. I want it at some point that you're, you're independent. But yeah, it's very collaborative and I try to make it very strengths-based because I always say that everybody that comes in my door, some, they're still standing. Something got them here to this day, you know? And I think that there's strength and resilience in that and I love to tap into that. But yeah, therapy is for everybody. Anything you want to point us to, either a resource or a way to connect with anything that you're doing that you want to shout out about? Well, that's a good question. Um, Psychology Today as an online resource is free to access. There's obviously not the only one out there. It's not the only resource that has accessible mental health articles or things like that. But that is definitely, um, I think it's stuff on there is written in a way it's meant for non-clinicians for the most part to provide some of this psychological information. It's based on research, but it's not like a research article, if that makes sense, because that isn't accessible to everybody. But that's a, a wonderful resource. Apps, use your smartphone. There's apps out there for, um, you know, kind of having some coping skills in your pocket. Mindfulness apps. As I said, that virtual hope box is a wonderful one. So yeah, using that device that you're going to have with you, even though be careful, we don't want to be suctioned to our device all the time. Make sure that if you're doing that, you're engaging in it in a positive manner. Take breaks. Unplug a little bit too. Polar opposite of the apps, but unplug a little bit here. Recharge. Obviously, in my number one passion, um, in general, the work that I do is trauma work and uh, moral injury work, in case anybody's interested in that. Moral um, injury work. Yeah. Tell um, me about that a little bit. So it's, it's kind of a, a newer concept. It's obviously not a, not, it's a newer concept in research and practice. Um, it's definitely not a new concept philosophically, et cetera, but it's kind of looking at, um, obviously I work, so I work with veterans, very military specific. It's not the only place we see it. We see it a lot in first responders, et cetera, but it's the, the psychological impact of acting, failing to act or witnessing others act in ways that go against some of your deeply held values and moral beliefs and things like that. And it's basically recognizing that not all trauma comes from that threat to life that or bodily, bodily harm kind of trauma, that there is ways that we are traumatized I hate to go spiritually because we have to be, you know, spiritual is so connected to, to mental health, um, but I'm not, we're not religious being very cautious with that, but it has a lot of religious undertones too. in that moral injury, especially if your moral code is very religiously based, but anyway, so basically, and what we often see is you alluded to that soldier beforehand, that sometimes in, in the training, in the active war zone or in the mission, especially if you're young, you're behaving in a certain way that is aligned with, the, the mission, the purpose, right? But then as you come home and you and you shed through that and you sit through that and reflect on stuff and you go, what does it mean about me that I did X, Y, or Z or didn't do X, Y, or Z? And then kind of healing through some of some of that, that self-forgiveness work, that other forgiveness work, um, even compassion meditations for, quote, an enemy um, or somebody who you feel wronged you or vice versa. It's incredibly powerful work. Um I don't, there's not really anything tangible I have as far as like where people can go, like to get engaged with, with 
moral injury, but um, I'm just thinking a lot about that and how that's going to be profoundly impacting. I think a lot of us coming through the other side of, of this current storm um, with the, the, when we've been, you know, vilifying the other side, whatever that other side is, that's causing some, probably, I think we're going to see some moral injury after this too, about ways that you thought about or felt about people. um, And what does that mean? And the good news is we can heal through all of it. Very interesting. Very it is. Cool. I love moral injury work um, and reparative relationships. But and even like just think about that for me, facing some of this stuff, I, some of the stressors has caused me to face some of those uglier pieces of myself too. Like, oh my God, did I just have that thought? That's so weird. That's not me. Um, and having to almost do my own active, like, what does it mean about me that I'm holding this right now and having to validate my own stuff sometimes and face my own stuff. But yeah. Wonderful. This has been really, really awesome. Thank you for sharing your time and and thoughts because I think every, you know, this is stuff, a lot of things are things that we kind of sort of know, but we so easily forget. Mm -hmm. And it's just, this is such a heightened time. I think a lot of people are kind of like needing some just Mm -hmm. additional thought process around some of the stuff. So ideas, ideas for coping or, or even I said, validating it's okay not to be okay right now. Um, here's how we can get through it. I hope you found some really great things that you can grab onto and integrate into our daily life and self-care through not only this crazy season, but beyond. Embrace the weirdness. I think one of my favorite quotes from Nicole during this podcast, and probably something that is a really good idea for us to adopt, right? Like we've we've had to do things so different because of COVID and we might as well embrace the weirdness and the uniqueness and all of that stuff. Makes it a lot easier. Be a little gentle with ourselves as we uh, figure out how to do everything in a slightly new way and slightly new awareness and mindfulness as we gather in groups. Embrace the weirdness. A pretty good theme for 2020 and probably 2021 too. If we could approach everything under the banner of embrace the weirdness, perhaps we can do it with a smile Thanks so much for listening and be well, be safe, and may you continue to find the pieces that fit beautifully into your health and wellness puzzle. Perhaps you found a few of them today. Take care. Talk to you soon.